Hey everybody, welcome back to From Complex to Queens, Amazing Avenue's Minor League Podcast. I'm Steve Saipa, and I'll be joined by Lucas Vlahos, Ken Lavin, and Thomas Henderson in just a second. But first, we're going to jump right into things, and we're going to give our way-too-early draft updates. So, my one remaining guy, Chase DeLauder, he finally returned to the lineup earlier this week after getting basically a week or so off to recover from some injuries. And in his return, he went 0-2 with a stolen base, two walks, and two strikeouts against Virginia Tech. And then over the weekend series against Winthrop University, he went 5-10 for with a homer, which was a grand slam. Two stolen bases, four walks, a strikeout, and a hit-by-pitch. But this hit-by-pitch was in the back, so nothing uh, major like the first one that was in the head and seemed to keep him out for a while. So for the week, he went... 5 for 12 with a homer, 3 steals, 6 walks, 3 strikeouts. And on the season, he is now hitting 440, 554, 760 in 50 at bats over 14 games with 4 doubles, 4 homers, 5 stolen bases in 6 attempts, 13 walks, and 13 strikeouts. He also pitched this week, believe it or not, too. Uh, in the bottom of the ninth in Sunday's game against the Winthrop Eagles, Liam Grubbs, a uh, re- relief pitcher, he let the first two guys get on base in a 8-5 to JMU lead. And DeLauder was then switched from center field over to pitch for reasons unknown that I could not find on Twitter. And then he proceeded to walk two consecutive batters to force in a run, He got a fly ball out, but that resulted in a sack fly. And then he walked another batter before being relieved by reliever Joe Vygotsky and being switched back to center field. Like I said, I couldn't find any context as to why he was brought into pitch. Uh, I I was looking on Twitter. I was searching, you know, his name. I was searching the JMU um, account. I was searching Liam Grubbs, you know, was was there an injury, what what was going on, but I couldn't find anything. Um, when I was listening to the broadcast, uh, it was already in extra innings after it happened, and there was no mention of what, what happened, but I don't know, it happened. And it wasn't particularly pretty, so suffice to say, Chase DeLauder will not be drafted as a pitcher. Hey everyone, Lucas here. I'm going to go over my two uh, draft names to follow, that being Dylan Beavers and Brock Porter. Uh, making my life extremely easy, almost as easy as Steve has by picking an injured pitcher, um, but Brock Porter still hasn't pitched. I believe their season starts next week in Michigan high school baseball. It's probably still like 20 degrees and snowing there every other day because it's Michigan. Um, so we haven't seen anything from him yet. Should be exciting to follow once their season finally gets underway. Uh, Dylan Beavers uh, has bounced back somewhat from a bit of a cold stretch. He's not quite at the um, uh, uh, absurd levels he was at the start of the year, but he's currently hitting 288, 398, 630. That's a 1,028 OPS, uh, seven homers and two stolen bases in 73 plate appearances. Uh, excuse me, 73 at-bats this season so far. Uh, having a big series against USC currently. USC typically ranked... Uh, I believe uh, the D1 Baseball website, which has a lot of great college information, has them ranked 23rd at the moment, 23rd or 25th. Um, so a, a really legitimate opponent in the Pac-12. Uh, he had a triple and a homer yesterday. 
doing a better job of controlling his strikeouts as well of late. He's struck out 17 times on the season, so uh, that's around a 23% clip, slightly higher than I'd like to see, but not catastrophic or anything. Uh, and very encouragingly has uh, 14 walks, so walking nearly as often as he's striking out. Um, I don't want to say he's getting pitched around because uh, Cal's lineup isn't that bad, and he's not that good. He's not like Ryan Jelloff or someone else in college who's just not to, or uh let's go with uh 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 Ken's guy in, in Young or Jung, whichever it is, uh someone who's just totally being pitched around. But uh Beaver's definitely they're definitely cautious with him and I think he's learning to to take what's given with him, uh what's being given to him and uh not expand the zone as much. Still a little bit worried about uh his ability to hit lefties and not strike out against them, but that's a, a long term concern. Um uh where the Mets are drafting, definitely a guy who should be an underslot pick at that spot. And, not, and if they use the rest of the money, I'd be quite excited by grabbing Beavers as an underslot uh, or in the second or, or comp round. So um, I'm not going to be pounding the – like punching through the table for Dylan Beavers, but uh, I'm, I'm still quite impressed by what I've seen. Uh, so since we last spoke, uh, Jace Jung went 7 for 17 with a, a homer in four games against Rice, uh, New Mexico, and Iowa. So pretty big programs. Uh, and is now hitting 377, 525, 636 on the season with four homers, 21 walks against 13 strikeouts. So still walking significantly more than he's striking out. And uh, generally just dominating with the bat. Um, so Jung's stock is is definitely trending upward, especially since we're we're starting to get into the the part of the season where they're playing some bigger programs with uh, more established baseball teams, uh, including Mississippi State, who they played uh, towards the end of last week, uh, the and the aforementioned Rice, New Mexico, and Iowa. So Jace Jung, definitely trending up. Uh, unfortunately, it's starting to look like he might play his way into the earlier part of the first round and might not be available when the Mets pick at 11. Uh, Cam Collier also, um, you know, has continued to, to perform, if not quite as well. Uh, he went one for seven this past week in two games, also hit a homer. And is now hitting 317, 442, 525 on the season with six home runs and 22 walks against 18 strikeouts. So he's still walking more than he strikes out. He's still putting up a very good batting line, uh, even if he's not quite been as dominant as he was in the early days of the season. Uh, but still, it's, it's worth remembering that he's playing against uh, significantly older competition. He's only 17. He might have turned 18 by now. Uh, this is probably something I should know. But um, he's still playing against guys who are probably 20, maybe even 21. And, uh, you know, he's, he's barely out of high school himself. So, you know, a 317, 442, 525 line is still great when you're considering that he's, he's playing against significantly older competition. So uh, Collier, you know, maybe his stock might be even to slightly above Zhang, uh, you know, his stock is clearly taking off. So those are my two guys uh, for this week. So for my way too early draft um, update, it was kind of a down, a weird week, I would say, more than anything else for both of my guys. 
Um, Gavin Cross, as you remember, was hitting like 400 and doing all these crazy things with the bat and just looking like one of the better players in college baseball offensively. And he had a bit of a down week this week as his average fell to 328, his OPV fell to 419, and his slugging fell to 609. I don't want to really call it. It's hard to say it's a down week because it probably did. Like, it obviously affected his bottom line and his numbers, but also... The torrid pace he was on before was just not going to last. That's not really realistic. That's not really something you could truly um, expect from someone throughout an entire season. Otherwise, he's going to be, like, the first or second overall pick and probably go to the majors within, like, a year or two. Like, it's just kind of – that's baseball in, the fact, in, in that sense where he started off really strong and then he got into a bit of a week-long slump that kind of normalized his season numbers. Because, like, if his season numbers are around this – I wouldn't be surprised. In 2021, his stat line throughout 51 games was 345, 415, 621. So it's very similar to his breakout, uh, his breakout 2021 season. And in 2020, when he was when he was a 19 year old kid in college, he hit 369, 409, 385. So the slugging was there yet because he was still a kid back then, but the rest of it was there. So I think we could kind of see it normalize and stable stabilize from here. Um, which makes sense considering what type of bat he is. And this is not a bad bat. It's 74 plate appearances of 328, 419, 609. Like, he'll take that, obviously. It's just he was on such a torrid pace before, and then he kind of slowed down a little bit. Now, Brandon Berea had a really weird week in that in one game on the 10th, he pitched four innings, struck out seven, and gave up two hits, no runs, which is exactly what you expect. But... Um, on the 15th, which was five days ago, he had a bit of an interesting, um, outing because his ERA fell to 0.39, but that does not tell the the whole story of his week because on that week they won nine, eight, his school, and he pitched three and two thirds innings and struck out six and gave up two hits, but he also had six unearned runs, zero earned runs. So of course it's very hard to, uh, it's very hard to, since we're scouting the stat, the, the stat line here, especially for high school kids, it's really hard to say if this was his fault, if he got lit up by this team and it was just an error that got the guys on base, if it was a ball that should have been caught that would have got him out of a jam that he got himself into, but it was flubbed and that means the errors are unearned, but that's really not his fault. So it's hard to say either way whether those six runs unearned, whether those six unearned runs were him pitching poorly or him pitching well, but he did strike out six in three and a half and in three and two thirds innings, three and a half innings. He did only give up two hits. He did walk two. So it's not like they had 10 hits on him. So you could kind of, I could kind of see it being one of those things where it's not really his fault. But again, like we said, this, when we're going down to high school here, we're not seeing the whole games. We're not seeing the whole innings because it's just, we don't have the functionality to do that. So we have to work on clips and we have to work on showcase stuff to get film on these guys. So really, that's really what happened this week for my way too early draft update. All right, so the minor league season is almost here. We got uh, exactly two weeks before the AAA season begins and we have about two and a half weeks until everybody else joins them. So this week, we are all going to talk about how we're feeling about low A St. Lucie, high A Brooklyn, double A Binghamton, and triple A Syracuse. So 
I'll start from the bottom uh, with St. Lucie Mets, of course. They went 60-55 and 55 last season. They won the low-A Southeast East in a pretty exciting battle with the Jupiter Hammerheads that came down to literally, literally the last day of the season. But despite the fact that they nabbed the division, they didn't get a playoff berth because both teams in the West, they had better records. And the rules state that the two best teams in the low-A Southeast with the best records go to the playoffs. So it was it was cool to see that they won the division and they pulled it out, but kind of bitter pill that they didn't you know get rewarded for it. But whatever, uh, you know it, it, it's hard to guess how they're going to do next season in terms of standings. But I think that they are going to have a winning record record over five hundred again. Robbie Robinson, he's going to be the new coach this season. He's replacing Reed Brignac. And Brignac is now going to be the coach of the Rumble Ponies. Robinson, he was the coach of the FCL Mets last year. So I think that's actually going to be helpful for a lot of the guys that are going to be playing in St. Lucia this year. A lot of these guys, they played on the FCL team last year. So, you know, to now have the same manager, one less thing that they need to deal with. They'll know how Robinson is you know they know robinson they have a rapport with him they know his personality they know how he leads how he manages um i was actually i was looking to see if there are any studies done to see if there's any kind of data that backs that assertion up you'd think you know on its whole on on the surface that yeah, yeah it would but you never know and unfortunately i couldn't find anything and i guess it's kind of a a too broad of a thing to investigate since there's so many variables and what-ifs and whatever but anyway, um, I can't say that I've heard too much, good or bad, about Robinson. Um, he was a catcher He in college. He is a smart, analytical guy. So maybe he'll be able to jumpstart Fernando Villalobos. He's a, a Mexican catcher that the Mets signed a couple of years ago. Uh, I kind of like him, but he really hasn't been able to get anything going. In the couple of years that he's been a professional, other than having a good eye at the plate. Um, looking at some of the other bats that are going to be on the St. Lucie roster, presumably next uh, next season, should be a, a ton of IFA players um, like Fernando Villalobos that we've talked about on the show in the past. Uh, guys that have some potential, but you know, A, they're still far away. And B, they haven't really realized too much of that potential. Uh, infielders, William Lugo, Junior Tillian, outfielders, Ural Martinez, Eduardo Salazar, and Stanley Consuegra. Consuegra, I think you can keep him a little bit separate from those other names because he's been in, in the organization a little longer. You know, we've ranked him on our top prospect lists uh, a couple of times and he has shown some glimpses he's just been hurt a lot so hopefully 2022 in st lucie is his breakout year um the offense it should also feature plenty of recent draftees uh 2021 fourth round selection jt schwartz he's probably going to be playing in brooklyn so that means that another first baseman that was drafted last year jack thomas wold he probably gets first base in st lucie uh, similar situation, 2021 seventh round pick Kevin Kendall. 
I think he's pretty much guaranteed to be playing short in Brooklyn. So depending on how the Mets want to do things, one of either White, Young, or Justin Guerra uh, will be his DP partner at second. And then the other one will probably be playing full-time in St. Lucie. And it's probably Guerra because he's the lowest guy in the totem pole. Um, he was drafted 20th, you know, lowest of all those guys. And he did struggle, unlike White, Young. So outfielders now, Rowdy Jordan, Matt Rudick, I think they are likely to be starting St. Lucie. Um, 2029 former Vandy commit, Blaine McIntosh. I think he's another guy that's going to be in St. Lucie. So those are some, I don't want to say good bats, but, you know, this this interesting names and some potential there. Pitching now, St. Lucie last year, not good at all. Um, they had a collective 4.65 ERA, and that was third worst in the low A Southeast. But I think they are going to be a little bit better this upcoming season. Again, when you're talking about a team this low, a lot is going to depend on who the Mets want to be aggressive with, who they want to, not baby, but who they want to progress slowly with. So there's a lot of, there's going to be a lot of uh, potential variation here. Um, Calvin Ziegler, their second round pick from 2021. He's been getting a lot of positive reviews in spring training. I think there's a good chance that he starts in St. Lucie and skips the FCL completely, but maybe not. Um, there's a, a couple of college guys from last year's draft that I expect the Mets to be more aggressive with and tend to Brooklyn. Uh, guys like Dominic Hamill, Mike Vassell, Carson Seymour. But in theory, they could also send them to St. Lucie. So if some of those guys are, you know, in St. Lucie, that's a, a really, really, really good pitching rotation. Now, even without any of those, th- those guys, though, I think St. Lucie could have a pretty solid group of starters among just 2021 draftees since, you know, I was talking about 21 draftees just now. I think that, uh, left-handers Kishon Askew and Nate Lavender, they, I think they both start in St. Lucie. They both have so-so stuff, but they do pair it with long slingy mechanics, especially Askew. He throws from a really wacky, almost sidearm kind of angle. So I think those guys might be able to, to, <laughs> to really wreck younger guys that they'll be playing against who are not really as prepared for weird stuff coming from weird angles. Um, 2019 prepsters Jace Beck and Saul Gonzalez, I think they're both going to be starting in St. Lucie most likely, and the two of them, they have the potential to be the tallest rotation mates since the 2015 Savannah Sednats had six foot seven Casey Meisner, six foot seven Josh Provost, uh, six foot eight Brad Week and six <laughs> six foot ten Martiris Arias. Uh, Gonzalez is six seven and Beck is six nine. So that's uh, yeah, that's really tall. And they're also kind of similar. They're um, raw right-handers, obviously taken in twenty nineteen. Uh, Beck was taken in the twenty second round and Gonzalez in the twenty third. And they both have solid fastballs for their age, uh, low you know l- low nineties or so. And raw secondary stuff. So, yeah, that those those are two really tall guys. <laughs> the bullpen now, uh, left-hander Dan Juarez, he was the the quote unquote bullpen ace 
out of the FCL bullpen last year, and I think that he'll be able to do something similar with St. Lucie in 2022. He signed out of Venezuela near the end of the 2019 to 2020 IFA signing period. He's not really projectionable. He's five foot eleven, hundred fifty-five pounds. Um, not, not you know, nothing is really changing there. But his fastball gets a ton of movement. Uh, his four seamer is measured as high as twenty-six sixteen RPM, and his two seamer was uh, measured as high as twenty-seven nineteen last year RPM. So that's some serious sink and run on those pitches. And, you know, he demonstrated last year in the FCL that younger hitters are going to struggle against that kind of movement. So here's crossing our fingers. Outside of him, though, I'm not really sure who's going to fill the BP. I mean, we have trouble enough as it is in the major leagues guessing who will lock up those, you know, last few spots in the pen when those spots are available and guessing that in... (laughs) low A, which is almost as low as you can be, is even more of a crapshoot. But two guys that I do think will be there are going to be 2021 draftees Trey McLaughlin and Colby Kubitschek. They both pitched in St. Lucie last year, and they weren't particularly impressive. So they might um, repeat as relievers. Another guy that I think is as much as a lock as you can say, these guys are locked to be 2018 drafty Brendan Hardy. He's been chugging along for a couple of years with a really hard sinker. And, um, you know, it just seems like a good fit for him in St. Lucie. For my, um, for my minor league level prospect um, review, or preview, I should say, not review, preview. I'm doing the Brooklyn Cyclones, which I chose because, frankly, they are very close to me. Um, I live in Brooklyn, so I'm close to them. Um, and Brooklyn, I think we could kind of copy and paste the what happened last year with Brooklyn and put it for this year, except there's way less talented prospects. I guess not talented, high level. So last year, Brooklyn was Ronnie Mauricio at the beginning, and then when they called up Francisco Alvarez, was Francisco Alvarez and Brett Beatty. And kind of nothing else was happening in Brooklyn because of the lack of really exciting low a uh lower minor depth that the Mets have. And unfortunately I think that's kind of the same this year. Um I think we're gonna get the advanced college guys like Hamill and Seymour and Vassal and a couple of other of those guys will probably guys they draft who are gonna be college bats or co- college arms, whatever route they go, will probably go to Brooklyn because that's kind of where the vibes are for that level now. They might start in um St. Lucie and then move up. I don't know. But obviously, um, Brooklyn is going to be where the high, where the more advanced college age guys go. Um, also, similar to last year, where there's a JT Ginn situation where he was out, he had Tommy John the year before, and then he came back and went to Brooklyn. I would not be surprised if they do that with Matt Allen, even though Allen already pitched at Brooklyn for his cup of coffee when he was like their really face in their New York Penn League championship run, his the year he got drafted. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if they, instead of pushing him after the Tommy John and after the uh, nerve, I forgot the name of it off the top of my head, and I'm sorry, but the nerve surgery that he had, I wouldn't be surprised if they stick Allen, if he comes back this year, if they stick Allen in Brooklyn to kind of let him not really worry about the batters he's facing and just worry about his arm and getting healthy because 
that matters way more than him facing high-level competition coming off of Tommy John surgery. Because we know he could pitch in Brooklyn. He already did it, and he already was really good, and he's he's past that level. But I wouldn't be surprised if they use that as a good rehab for him. And then next year, be like, all right, you're ready to go to, like, Binghamton or something. You can even push him really aggressively from there. But, yeah, Brooklyn is just going to be, I think for the time being, like for the next few years, it's going to be pretty much the same thing unless they get an influx of IFA and high school guys and really young players who pop. But there's just not a lot in the lower minors right now. Like maybe a few guys will come from, will come stateside that we don't know about yet or that we don't know will be there yet. Or it's hard to tell that right now and it's hard to project that because that's all really a crapshoot where they go, if they go to Brooklyn, whether or not whatever happens with them. So Brooklyn is really going to be a, for lack of a better term, a place where we have a few prospects that's worth to keep an eye on. And this year it's going to be the pitchers instead of the hitters, I think. And then we kind of see if anyone shines that we are surprised about. Hello, everyone. And uh, I'm going to be previewing the 2022 Binghamton Rumble Ponies. Uh, so I expect Binghamton will probably perform in a way very similar to how Brooklyn performed last year, given that a lot of the prospects from Brooklyn will be promoted to Binghamton this year. And um, I assume on the pitching side of things, they're going to struggle quite a bit. Brooklyn wasn't a particularly good pitching team. Uh, they traded to the guys who figured to be uh, in the mix for the, the Rumble Ponies rotation in uh, JT Ginn and Adam Aller, um, you know, in the, the past couple of weeks. Um, so I, I really think they're going to be very thin on the pitching side and are probably going to have a few games where they just get blown out. Um, I imagine Jose Buto will probably be the team's workhorse, much like he was in Brooklyn before being promoted to Binghamton last year. I imagine he'll probably spend most of the season there. And uh, in the pen, I imagine the two big weapons for them will be Brian Matoyer, especially if he can continue to improve with his command, and uh, Bryce Montas de Oca, who also uh, hopefully will take a step forward with his ability to command the baseball. Uh, but I really don't think the pitching staff is going to perform particularly well, uh, given that the, the staff with Brooklyn last year also struggled. Uh, the team figures to be far more interesting on the offensive side of the ball. Um, even if I don't think they'll be able to hit enough to make up for the, the shortcomings of the, the team's pitching staff. I imagine Brett Batty will probably return there at least to start and probably spend about half the season in Binghamton, having only spent half a season there last year. Um, I imagine that Ronnie Mauricio will probably spend most, if not all, of the season in A, given he only played a few games there last year. And I also imagine Francisco Alvarez will probably spend most, if not all, of this season, upcoming season, in AA as well. Given that he's a catcher, they'll probably want to move him a little slower than um, a, a player with his you know, offensive abilities uh, would otherwise move. You know, Maybe a guy who isn't a catcher, you promote to AAA if he's really destroying AA. But I, I really think that they're going to leave Alvarez there for the entire season. Uh, or at least the vast majority of the season. Um, so really, I think this team is going to be extremely interesting, even if they're not particularly good from a wins and losses standpoint. They might be the most interesting team in terms of prospects uh, in affiliated baseball, and certainly the most interesting team in terms of prospects that, you know, I've seen, uh, you know, even if it's more or less the same team that I saw last year in Brooklyn. 
I think they're going to be a lot of fun to watch and a lot of fun to follow, especially since the these top prospects in the system, you know, Batty, Mauricio, Alvarez, uh, are going to be all going to be in the high minors for the first time together. So uh, lots to look forward to with Binghamton, even if, um, you know, they figure to struggle in the standings a little bit. All right. And now we'll go over the Syracuse roster, um, working off uh, uh, what is projected because um, well, we don't actually know who's going to make the team and uh, any injury situation. So uh, take this as a combination of reading roster resource, reading recent Mets transactions, and uh, uh, kind of trying to read the tea leaves on which prospects wind up where. Um, the most relevant material, of course, which top 25 prospects are going to start the season at Syracuse? Uh, Mark Vientos. Uh, who we had ranked, I should know this off the top of my head, but my brain is a sieve. We had him ranked fourth overall. Uh, he's going to start the season in Syracuse, given that he finished the season there. Um, actually going to be a really interesting test. He obviously performed uh, very well, surpassing my and most people expect, most people's expectations at AA. Uh, but we know that pitching was extremely weak in the upper minors last year. Um, will be interesting to see if he can sustain this success at AAA. And then uh, if he does, he's likely to see some at-bats for the Major League team, uh, even at a position the Mets have a fairly big logjam at at the corners. Uh, Khalil Lee and Nick Plummer are the next two guys. Those are uh, the two outfielders we had ranked 7th and 8th. Um, Lee obviously had a bit of a disastrous debut last year, but I've been uh, quite high on him, quite high on him still. Uh, Plummer, a former first-round pick by the Cardinals, who had a swing change and seemingly a semi-breakout uh, last season in the minors, and the Mets snagged him on a minor league deal. Um, I'm actually a big fan of both of these guys. Uh, given the Mets' outfield situation, I'd very much expect both of them to uh, get some major league at bats this year, um, and perhaps one or two. Like you don't want to be penciling them in or count or relying on them as a long term starter, but there's a, a, a non-zero chance that one or both of them could uh, turn into real major league pieces. Uh, moving down the list, we get to Eric Orsi. Uh, real feel good story as someone who's come back from cancer. Uh, was quite good in the upper minors last year. Had a brief, uh, some time at the, at AAA at the end of the season. Uh, I'd expect him also to be an up and down guy for the Mets this year when they need some, uh, bullpen help. Uh, Travis Blankenhorn, another guy, another one of my favorites. MLB ready bench bat that, uh, uh, really just needs a bit of a chance. Uh, and I, again, would expect him to, like, it's good injury depth to have around, right? You don't want to be relying on him, but he's there. Um, last two guys, Thomas Sapucky and Josh Walker. Uh, I don't know what we're really getting from either of these guys, especially Sapucky at this point. I don't think either uh, can really be relied on for too much, um, uh, but we'll see what we get. Josh Walker, I like a little bit as a depth start. And he, if Josh Walker's your, what is he now, basically the number nine starter in the organization, that's totally fine. Um, so those are the top 25 prospects that will start the season at Syracuse. Vientos Lee Plummer, obviously the ones to watch. Um, I'll also at least mention uh, guys like Brett Beatty, Hayden Sanger, Jake Mangum, Carlos Cortez, Brian Matorier, Jose Buto, um, maybe even Ronnie Mauricio. If he has a huge year, maybe Francisco Alvarez. All of those guys could make it to AAA. Uh, Beatty, Sanger, Mangum, Cortez, I would definitely expect to see in AAA uh, uh, in the back half of the season, but I don't think we'll see that to start. Um, and I think they're more relevant to the AA preview, at least uh, at this point, uh, as much as I'd love to gush about Brett Beatty some more on here. 
So on to the projected lineup at catcher. We have Patrick Nazika, probably, uh, along with Nick Mayer on the bench. Um, infield, uh, Matt Winokur at first, not really a major prospect. Uh, Blankenhort at second base, Vientos at third. I wonder if they'll give him some time in, in left or in the outfield generally. Uh, but we'll see how they exactly deploy him in AAA. Um, recent minor league signing, Suwei Lin. Uh, looks to be the starting shortstop, though, uh, old friend Matt Reynolds, who the Mets also picked up on a minor league deal, could factor in there. Uh, the outfield, some combination of, uh, Travis Shinkowski, uh, uh, Khalil Lee, and Nick Plummer would, I'd expect those three to be the starters, unless Jinkowski makes the team as a fourth outfielder. Uh, gonna be interesting to see how the Mets actually resolve their bench, uh, cause you'd like to have a real fourth outfielder on the roster, but there's currently not room. Um, but if Jinkowski's not uh, on the Major League roster, he should be starting here. Uh, a couple other outfielders to mention. My boy, Janeshwi Fargus, of course, um, who I'm a big fan of. He might wind up being just more an org filler guy, but I still think he has a lot of utility as a bench bat uh, for the defense and speed. Uh, Carlos Rincon, a rather under-the-radar trade acquisition they made last season. Uh, I could actually see him starting at A, similar to Mangum Cortez and making his way up later, but... Um, at least for now, roster resource has him as a AAA name. Uh, Daniel Palka, a minor league signing from the Nationals, also factors in here. Um, so that's the positional player group. We already mentioned a couple of the guys who are going to come up and re- reinforce this over time uh, from AA. Uh, going to the rotation now, because the Mets actually did a good job of building out rotation depth for once, they have a fairly deep AAA rotation here. Uh, David Peterson and Tyler McGill, I would expect both of them to start the season in AAA as starters. Uh, There's been some talk of putting Peterson in the bullpen as a lefty. I don't think that's a particularly great idea. His arsenal doesn't strike me as one that either plays up in relief or is particularly uh, uh, platoon friendly. Uh, He's certainly going to have an advantage against lefties, but he's not someone who's going to shut them down. Um, So I'd, and also just in terms of the rotation depth, I'd rather have him stretched out uh, as the sixth starter type. So uh, I fully expect him to to start the season in Syracuse as their number one starter. Um, Behind Peter, much the same story for McGill without even the the lefty benefit. Uh, Behind them, you have Jordan Yamamoto. Uh, Hopefully his shoulder is is healthy. He might be my favorite of those three pitchers if healthy. Um, Known for having a a really deep repertoire of secondaries, but a questionable fastball. And obviously that's not going to be helped by uh, a couple shoulder injuries over the last three years. Um, but I'm interested to see what he can do, his comments on uh, vaccines recently notwithstanding. Uh, going down the list, we've got uh, Yancy Diaz, who was acquired as part of the Stephen Match trade, might be a reliever instead, but could also be your starter. Mike Gun- Montgomery, a minor league signing. Uh, also Josh Walker, who we previously mentioned, uh, all factor into the rotation mix. Uh, to the bullpen, We've got Jake Reed, Steven Nokasek, Eric Orsi, who we already talked about, and Antonio Santos. These are all uh, org guys. I would expect – I actually think Reed is interesting as an up-and-down bullpen arm. Uh, you'll probably remember memes from a couple of years ago about the Rays bullpen clock, and Reed certainly has uh, a weird arm slot that's perhaps leverageable. Um, but I also see him as someone who's optionable probably goes up and down. Uh, same with Orsi, though he might have more potential than Reed most likely. Nogasek and Santos I don't think are much of anything. Um, 
And then supplementing these guys, we've got a slate of minor league signings. Uh, Tim Adelman, Jason Shreve, and Alex Claudio all figure to be fighting for that left-hand relief spot in the bullpen. The fact that that's the group of guys fighting for that spot is more than a little concerning, but that seems to be where the Mets are at right now. Uh, of those, I'd say Shreve is the best and most likely to make the majors. Um but I would fully expect Claudio and Adelman to, to stick around and get some time. Uh, others to mention here, RJ Alvarez, Felix Pena, Rob Zestrizny. Good luck with that name for the rest of the season. Um, Zestrizny, unfortunately, is also for me because I'm going to have to say the names seven more times. Uh, the most interesting name of this group was actually with the Dodgers, then an independent ball, and then signed out of independent ball by the Marlins. And then the Mets picked him up on a minor league deal, but he posted some pretty impressive AAA stats last time he was there uh, for Miami last year. And uh, I might be another guy who could factor into that lefty relief pitcher uh, uh, pitcher equation. Relief pitchers are mercurial, man. Like, who the hell knows what's going to happen here? Uh, the the somewhat frustrating thing is that I actually quite like this slate of depth arms, right? If this was if the if if the Mets had signed, say, like Andrew Chafin, who I don't even like that much, but let's say they had a reliable lefty in the bullpen and they didn't have a second, but they had this pile of interesting minor league signings to draw from, I would quite like that roster building strategy. I don't think it's worth investing in two lefties. You buy one and then throw a bunch of darts the Mets forgot the buy one part right so relying on this slate of names to fill out the back of the bullpen has me a little worried um, and I would expect most of these guys to kind of be bouncing up and down as the year goes on one last name to to mention here that's Sean Reed Foley uh, Reed Foley was also acquired in the Stephen Match trade of course um I think we're all pretty familiar with him and his repertoire and his uh, uh issues at this point I think there's something here long term perhaps uh however he is out of options and just as a roster construction issue uh a, a non-elite righty reliever without options is not someone i'd prioritize so i don't know if he'd accept an assignment to triple a uh, i don't think he i also don't know that he factors into the bullpen as currently constructed so who can say whether he'll actually be at syracuse or not um so that's the the picture of the roster looking at it uh, here's the thing, right? Like, AAA, predicting AAA records are, that's a, that's a weird exercise, right? Not only because, who cares, but also, AAA rosters are this weird mix of both MLB ready prospects and then the quad A guys or minor league signings who teams are relying on for, uh, depth. And that means that roster quality can be a little both, um, um, uh, tra transigent isn't the word I'm looking right for, but uh, unstable, right? Guys are going to be coming up and down, uh, and also a little all over the place, right? Like teams with bad farms might still have good AAA rosters. Um, the Mets do not have a great farm, and their best players aren't really at AAA, but I do think this roster is decent overall. I think this rotation is going to be very good by AAA standards. The bullpen should be fine, Uh they don't really have great options back there, but it's not a disaster. Uh, on offense, while there are some pieces I like, I think they're lacking thump. Um, and I'm also still skeptical of the Antos generally. Uh, so I don't know. I think they're, if I had to like predict what exactly was going to happen, I'd say they have a 
average or slightly below offense by league standards and a better than average rotation and that probably gets them uh, uh an above 500 record for triple a um but i don't think they're gonna do anything super special here um and and again that's not really the point of triple a it'll be much more interesting to see what khalil lee and nick Plummer and and mark vientos are doing on a night-to-night basis as opposed to uh hand-wringing over uh, uh where syracuse is sitting in the standings um so yeah, that's the roster. That's what I think will happen with their record, and uh, hopefully they'll be able to just provide useful depth throughout the season. All right, well, if anyone has any questions, comments, or whatever, you can send us an email at our email address from complexdoheans at gmail.com. You can follow us on Twitter. I am at Steve Seiper. Lucas is at elvlahos343. Ken is at Ken Levin ninety one, and Thomas is at Sad Met Season S Z N. Subscribe to the podcast, forget your podcast from, rate and review it, and of course we thank you for listening. And we will be back next week. So until then, love the Mets, love the Mets.